You know, we're, we've been looking at things that Jesus had something to say uh, concerning. And uh, today we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about honor. And uh, this is one of those things that sometimes uh, might fly under the radar and uh, maybe not as much might may be said about this because often we look for the dynamic event-oriented uh, manifest. We talk about the manifest presence of God, and yet uh, there is no greater manifestation than uh, for the character of Christ to be manifest through his church. And so my prayer today is as you've come here uh, to worship the Lord that we would truly discern what it is that God has to say about honor. You know, um, I believe it's God's purpose, and we'll look at it in the Scriptures, for all of us to live as believers honorably in a world of dishonor. Uh, when we, we look at the, uh, the world that we live in, let's make no mistake about this, okay? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not living in relationship with the Lord, a world that's living in spiritual darkness. And yet we are called to live honorably among all people. We are to live and to demonstrate honor toward people. It doesn't mean that we honor bad behavior. It doesn't mean that we honor corruption. But regardless of those things, it's like uh, um, Pastor Jeff said this morning, you know, the Lord demonstrated his love for us and, and extended a gift to us even before we had any thought toward him, any good thought toward him, or any thought at all. And so when we look at our relationship with the people of this world, we are to, to live honorably, and we are to demonstrate honor toward all people, regardless of what their behaviors are. Uh, again, that's hard for us to, to make, that, uh, make that distinction at times, because we believe that to show honor to someone whom we vehemently disagree with, or someone who's living a life way outside of the grace of God that we're not required to do that, and that's not true. We are to live and to show honor to all people. You know, how many know that Jesus, when uh, he was brought before the authorities, he only said that which was, was directed by the Father to be said, and other than that, he didn't even open his mouth. And, you know, sometimes uh, honor is not opening our mouth when there's a lot we could say. Uh, there's a lot we could do, a lot of things that we could uh, um, act out, and yet honor says I won't do it, uh, you know. And so today as we talk about honor, uh, I want to I really challenge the church to understand uh, that honor is not getting in the mud with others and grappling in the mud, right? That's not honor, that's not heroism either. You know, that's nothing other than flesh acting out. When I say that, it doesn't mean that we don't take a righteous stand and that we don't establish the witness of Christ. But, you know, we don't behave as the world, right? We're not fighting a carnal fight. Amen? We don't trade insult for insult. You know, this is a lesson I think the God really wants to impress, and it starts with me, and he's speaking to all of us today, because it's so easy to get into that mindset where my responsibility is to trade insult for insult. 
to get down into the grappling, uh, grappling in the mud and the mire and, and, and just, uh, you know, um, taking an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you know. I, I want to say there, there has to be something different here. You know, Stephen, when he was stoned, you know, we look at Stephen's uh, fate, his countenance and we see there was a heavenly countenance that settled over Stephen even as he was being stoned. He was a righteous man, a man of humility and great faith in the Lord. We know the Scripture said he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So there was nothing lacking as far as strength and resolve and commitment to the Lord and passion. So, you know, Stephen wasn't a weakling who allowed others to destroy him physically. He was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And, you know, of those who were chosen to serve in Acts chapter 6, there, there were those who were chosen to, to, those who were chosen to serve. It says specifically of Stephen that he was a man full of uh, faith in the Holy Spirit. It makes that distinction about him. And even in his dying moments, there is, uh, there is a tremendous uh, revelation of personal honor there. And um, again, that, that there, we understand today that honor is not, uh, 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 is not getting into the mud with the world. There has to be a distinction. There has to be a difference. We can't behave like the world does, right? And, you know, God is the righteous judge. In the end, he will prosecute all evil. You and I are not prosecutors of others' sin, right? It's not our role to be the prosecution. You know, in fact, we are to provide uh, advocacy for those who need to know Jesus and to be introduced to him. You know, Jesus stepped in for the woman who had been taken in adultery, right? He could have just jumped in with the, the majority of others who were there condemning, and yet he took a disposition that was far different from those who condemned her. And he stood there as, a, as an advocate on her behalf. And you know, the Scriptures uh, make it clear that she was involved and engaged in some type of sin, right? It wasn't an excuse for her behavior, but Jesus refused to jump in and to, to bring himself into agreement with the dishonorable behavior of those who were exploiting this woman for their own personal advancement or their own personal uh, quest to solve it or to satisfy it. In the Scriptures, Jesus didn't speak uh, a great deal using the word honor, but on many occasions he demonstrated honor and he taught lessons that would advance the course of honor. In the Scriptures, uh, the word honor is used 147 times, so it must be fairly significant, right? Uh, either uh, honor as it applies to our personal ethic, integrity, you know, in Christ, or, or it means the attitudes that we show toward others. You know, we are to honor authority, right? Come on, church. That's hard to do. It doesn't mean we honor evil. It doesn't mean that we look the other way. It doesn't mean that we don't take a righteous position in the Word. But, you know, we're no better than the world if we look at those who don't know Christ and those for whom Christ died with, for, with contempt. We are no better than the world because we show the same contempt to the world that the world is showing toward us. 
And, you know, this is hard because a lot of times it's easy to get, you know, whether it be Facebook or uh, Twitter or all these other avenues of ministry, uh, you know, we, we beat our chest and we make our statements and we declare, what, you know, the evils of every other race or person on the, wor- on the earth. And, you know, the most important thing is, is that we're bringing the solution to, into the world one person at a time. By the character that we have, by the, by the Christ that we represent. How many would rather be that part of the answer, the solution, than just be another voice, a commentator, a talking head, or talking fingers? I gotta tell you, it doesn't take anything to do that. You can fire off anything in a moment and put it out there for everyone to see, and it may look very, very uh, muscular to a lot of folks, and, uh, and very, and I'm not saying that we don't utilize resources to speak when evil is celebrated, but I'm telling you that we as the church have to be honorable in our disposition toward all people. And that's not an easy thing to do in this toxic world. That's a challenging thing. That's challenging for me every day of my life. I'm no different than you are, and yet I'm not going to use that as an excuse to say that we can behave ourselves dishonorably in a world that celebrates dishonor. Honor speaks of personal integrity and it, as it relates to self and as it relates to how we interact with others how we regard other people, and we're going to talk about this, I'm just leading in. It's not easy to assess certain things as people who conduct themselves in a dishonorable way. You know, certainly evil is never to be excused or made light of uh, or, or, and certainly never rewarded, but we have to keep in our minds we are not the prosecutors here. Do you hear that today, church? You are not the prosecutor. You're not the judge. I'm not the prosecutor, and I'm not the judge of this fallen world, right? There is one who will come and set all things in order and all things right. And this world will violently rebel against God until the day God establishes his righteous rule and reign. And again, if you take this the wrong way, you're going to say, well, he's saying we're not to stand up, we're not to speak out against evil. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, may we demonstrate honor in the fact that sometimes when we could say something, we don't. And sometimes when we could do something, we choose not to because it doesn't advance the cause of Christ. Come on, church. You know, I I have become so... uh, uh, just, I, I'm just so full of all of the stuff that goes on in the world. You know, it's just so toxic. And it is hard to live in this world and to keep a, a disposition and an attitude that is pleasing to the Lord and shows redemptive quality toward other people. Because if, if we're not redemptive toward people, we're not living for Christ. We're not living for Christ. If, we have, if, if, if our view of others is not redemptive and it's more punitive than redemptive, then we're out of balance. And when that hits close to home, that's not easy to maintain that balance. But nonetheless, we are not left helpless in the process. God has given his Holy Spirit to help us. How many here really believe the Holy Spirit can transform your life? 
We all want to see the manifestation of God's presence. We want to see the, hear the prophetic words. We want to speak in tongues. We want to see the, the dead in Christ raised up. We want to see all this, you know. But the whole world needs desperately to see the character of Christ in response to a lost state. They need to see the love of Christ. And I'm not minimizing the other. I'm just simply saying today that it really is much more about how we conduct ourselves as led and filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit every day as opposed to, uh, as opposed to what I do here in this hour and a half today. I'm not saying this isn't important. This is foundation. This is fuel for the fuel for the journey, right? It's it's a help for me. But when I go out, the difference is going to be made in how whether or not I live the honorable life that Jesus has died to secure for me and to place me in, so that I could effectively serve Him and that I could grow. Honor is the regard that we show to God, to our parents to those in authority, and to those who serve in ministry, those who serve uh, publicly, and, and, and to our fellow human beings. You know, it's amazing for me because I can look back um, a few years back here. You know, I know how I felt so strongly and still do about certain things. But uh, there was a, a young man in our church who, um, it, it hit home early. It hit home with great gravity because there was a young man who um, had been drinking and he got in an accident and he killed a nine-year-old little girl and severely injured uh, the mother. And you know, let me tell you, uh, I was standing about a foot away from his mom and dad in church in between, uh, right before church started when they got a, got a phone call. And I had seen this the night before on the news, uh, from the Pittsburgh news, uh, that there was a drunk driver who hit another car and killed a nine-year-old girl. And, and I was standing there when their phone rang and I heard this young man's mother say, you know that story we saw in the news last night? That was our son. I'm going to tell you, that'll, let, that'll test your theology. That'll test your faith. You know, we can all have faith or say it, but, you know, sometimes there comes down to the part when we really are met with something that's going to test it to a degree that we've never seen before. They immediately left church, just their faces were ashen, and they were so stunned and shocked. They exited out of the church, and, and you know, uh, I, I can tell you, uh, you know, a lot of times we see stories like that, and we think, you know, they need to be thrown in jail, and they need, and I, I am all for the law being dealt out. I am, believe me, I am. I'm all for that. But it changed my view of things a little bit. Because then I got to see the, the offender as someone that I knew. And it, it really, I'm trying to process because I knew this young man and he was not a bad person. He got a job. He got a, he got a job, went with coworkers and they'd go out to eat a lot and they were drinking and he became intoxicated. He got, went out. He got in his car. They shoot him out the door and he went out the door, got in his car, drove down the road and hit another car head on. And you know, and I don't want to speak insensitively to anyone who's been through this because you know, uh, you know, it's easy to make comments. I'm just simply saying that if this doesn't work 
This gospel doesn't work in all situations. It doesn't work in any. If the grace of God can't be extended in all situations, it can't be extended to anyone. Because it's a disclaimer, it's a, it's, it's a contradiction of what it professes to be. How many of you know today, and I, this might sound a little, a little hard and straightforward, but that's why we're here, right? We want to hear the truth and grace and love. But you know, if we weren't shown God's grace, we'd all be going to hell today. There's nobody here who's here because you're a good person. And you won't be in heaven because you had more, done more good than you did bad. You're going to be there only exclusively, and I will, because of the blood of Christ, the, the saving grace of God. That's the only reason you're going to be there. And you know, the thing is, whether we like to admit it or not, there are probably going to be people who were very vile in their behavior in this life who are right there in heaven beside us. And I'd like to think that we lived in such an honorable way uh, among all people that some of those who are in heaven will be there because we behave like Jesus would have in those situations. And I've got to, I'm telling you, I have not arrived. So if you're thinking I'm standing here on some pedestal preaching down, you got that one wrong. Every day is a challenge. But it's a challenge we have to, in Christ, take on. I want to grow. I'm going to become more like Christ. I didn't get saved just to maintain what I, a, little, a little bit of an improvement over what I was before I came to Christ. Jesus said uh, in John 8, 49, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. You know, when you live for the Lord, and no one lived for the Lord more than the Lord. <laughs> and they accused him of being demon-possessed. And they said to him, I don't have a demon. And he says, in fact, I honor my father. He said, but you, on the other hand, dishonor me, and therefore you dishonor him. So, you know, when you live for the Lord, you're going to be shown dishonorable conduct. Bible says if you want to live a godly life, you're, gonna, you're going to experience persecution. It says, all who desire to live godly life. You know why that is? Is because once you step out of the darkness and into the light, you become visible. You become visible to those who approve of the steps you've taken, and you become visible to those who absolutely hate the steps you've taken. And so, you know, you, if you live for the Lord, there, there really isn't any place to to live conveniently and in, the, in an insular life where you're not going to be afflicted by persecution or hardships or difficulties. And, you know, I love everybody until someone slaps me. How about you? You know what I'm talking about? I love them all until they cut me off on the highway. And I still love them, but I, not quite as much. John 8, 54, Jesus answered and said, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count, but it is my Father who will glorify me. Uh, you say he is our God. You know, when you think about that, you know, it's not us seeking glory for ourselves, seeking honor for ourselves. In fact, the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
In fact, we're told in the Scriptures, let other men praise you and don't praise yourself. So we're not in this for self-promotion or to try to make ourselves appear to be something we're not. We just want to live a life that's continually being transformed. John 12, 26 says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. So, basically... If you want to be honored by God, you've got to be walking with Jesus. Come on, church. He says, if anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Uh, uh, you, know, was, you know, we think about this, and what did Jesus say? What did, what did he say about honor? Now, you know, I guess the easier way for me sometimes is to approach it through the other door. Uh, and I know there's a, you can do it either way, but it always hopefully directs us to the point. Uh, but I want to look at what Jesus had to say about dishonorable attitudes and behaviors. Things that Jesus recognized as being dishonorable uh, attitudes and behaviors. And he tells the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, in Luke chapter 18, it says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You hear that? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous uh, and treated others with contempt. You know, that whole statement right there could be circled as a, as a perfect example of what Jesus identified as dishonorable behavior. It says they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. That's a great prayer, right? We won't pray that uh, out loud. <laughs> but maybe we pray it in private. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we should. I'm saying sometimes maybe we wouldn't be as audacious and bold to say that out loud. But how many times is it easy to see it that way? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God resists the proud, right? But he gives grace to the humble, right? He, to those who are broken. You know, uh, if you don't think you need grace, don't worry. God, will, he's not going to force anything on you. I tell you this, this man went down from his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And you know, that might not come until the day of judgment, but it's coming. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not me. I'm not the prosecutor. And we have to be released from that. We can't always go out and prosecute everything that happens in life. And really, that's not our focus and it's, uh, you know, in this parable, Jesus demonstrates two principles that are made in another scriptural statement. God resists pride, and he gives grace and restores 
dignity upon those who are broken and contrite. You know, the dishonorable treat. You know, let me just say this. I, I would imagine that Pharisee would have had a pretty large amen crowd if he had really highlighted the difference between himself and the, and the uh, tax collector because, you know, the Jews thought tax collectors were the scum of the earth that moved in collaboration with the Roman authorities to extort and to take advantage of the people. So you can imagine that this man would have been an easy target to vilify, right? He would have been an easy one. And probably if this Pharisee walked, not too many people would have had a problem with that part of it when he he compared himself to this other guy. Because, uh, you know, in stark contrast, this man, he fasts, he prays, he does all his stuff, he tithes. And this, this scum, he's stealing from people. He's taking from people. He doesn't deserve anything. But in the end, what did, what did God say? What did the Lord say? Who went away justified? It was the man who came to repentance. And you know, let me tell you, uh, according to Scripture, none of us are getting into heaven without repentance. You know, you say, well, I don't need to repent. I just need to accept Christ. Well, we turn away. We, we make a couple of decisions. We turn away from the old life, and we turn to the one who gives the new life. This, the dishonorable treatment of the prophets by the religious zealots, Jesus called that out. People who were called of God, placed in position in a, in a place to speak God's word. And, you know, some of them had the unenviable task of actually having to speak what God gave them. Come on, church. They had to be the unpopular voice. Hate to break up your party, but this is what God says. Now that now you say, well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you got to know that God gave it to you. This isn't about what I think, what I feel, what my view is, what my opinion is. You got to know that God has given you a word to bring, right? And when God brings you to to, to give that word, you know uh, that you are doing so ultimately for the salvation and the redemption and the salvation of the uttermost. Lost. But they, he talked about the poor reception they were given and how many of the prophets were killed. And actually, a lot of their mistreatment was by those who were religious zealots. They had their own agenda within the religious structure, they had their own thing going, you know. And when God raised up a man or a a woman to speak into a situation, it kind of ruffled feathers because it broke up business a little bit. And so then they, you know, they did what they did. They they religiously crucified, in a sense, not necessarily crucifixion, in many ways, actually, those men who were raised up by God to speak His truth. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 57, so they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own household. Many times demeaning behavior is shown toward those in the name of God by those we, our agendas and our attitudes and dispositions are threatened by. And that's what happened with Jesus, you know. You understand what happened there. They said that he cast out devils by the prince of the devils. How dumb is that one? Come on, church. 
The devil doesn't fight the devil. The devil's all in against you. And he's all in against the purposes of God. He's not at fighting himself. He isn't that dumb. He's very shrewd. And it says, uh, you know, I read that and I think about how when Jesus was rejected by those whom he had come to bring this word to, the religious establishment sought to discredit him. He's casting out demons. People are being healed and delivered and set free. And I got to tell you, you can almost see the ecclesiastical robes of, of self-righteousness standing there twirling their little thingies and uh, whatever. I don't even know what that meant, but they're wearing their, and standing there watching Jesus to see what's he going to do now. I got to tell you, Jesus, you know, people say Jesus was a rebel. That's dumb. Jesus was no rebel. He was the truth. He was the way. He was the life. How could he be the rebel? The rebel were those living in darkness. Jesus was not the rebel. He was just simply coming here as the way, the truth, and the life, and they didn't recognize it. I think that's an affront to say that Jesus is a rebel. That means to me that Jesus somehow came and, and you know, he was, uh, you know, he just kind of pushed into the crowd and said, hey, I'm here. I'm going to give my voice to this. No, Jesus came with authority and with power. You know, as we think about it, as he began to cast out devils and demons, they started murmuring among each other. And, you know, I shared this last week, and I think, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot over the years because people ask it, you know, fairly often. You know, what's the unpardonable sin? And I got to tell you, I wouldn't get too comfortable ever speaking evil of the Holy Spirit. Ever. You know, you know, people, we have to understand something. You know, you've got to take a lot of liberties with this scripture to say that it really doesn't matter. Because Jesus infers that it did matter. Because blasphemy is to speak evil of or to bring reproach upon. And it said, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy which will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Not now, not ever. And, you know, when I think about that, you know, Jesus acted so honorably when they were calling him a devil and a demon. He just spoke the word direct. I mean, whether it was received or not received, he brought it. And they, they, they acted so dishonorably toward him, and, and they cloaked themselves in religion. You know, how many times do, does God get credit for, people, for things that people say, and it had nothing to do with God? God told me to tell you, to tell them. I got to tell you, the best way of knowing what of that really truly is authored by God is to walk in intimacy with God so then it comes to you as a confirmation, not as a revelation. And if it doesn't, and, and if it doesn't bear witness with your spirit, chuck it. But Jesus acted honorably toward those who were dishonorable toward him. He called out the hypocritical expressions of, of those who claimed to honor God and didn't. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. You know, he's calling people out, so you understand, and he can do that. Jesus is God, right? He can speak whatever he speaks, and it's always righteously declared and without fault. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to publish a retraction. 
He condemned those who under the, under the guise of honor dishonored their parents. You know, sometimes we can use religion to, to act dishonorably. Oh, come on, we've all seen it, right? I mean, we've seen how we've exploited the name of Jesus at times for our own personal gain and to exploit others in Jesus' name. Happens all the time. And yet, when we look at it, we see here in Matthew 15, 3 through 5, and there's the good stuff, there's the truth, and there's the grace and the character of God. We want to be among that group who act honorably. In Matthew 15, 3, he said, he answered them and he said, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is now given to God. You understand, here's the story that Corbin, uh, and uh, Corbin is, uh, it refers to things that are dedicated unto the Lord, things that are designated uh, to be given and used exclusively for the Lord. And they're saying that anything that I would have given to my parents, because they had an obligation to their parents, right? And they could get at, they felt like they could kind of shelter or, or, or cover their responsibilities by saying, well, I, what I was going to give to you now, it's dedicated to the Lord. And really it wasn't. It was just kind of set aside like that for the purpose of self-gratifying, withholding from their parents the support that they were to show them. You know, you, you think about the elderly parents that were dependent upon uh, some of the kindnesses that were shown and the generosity of their children. This is how far dishonor, dishonorable behavior can seed itself is that we use religion to bring excuse or to hide our agenda. You know, there was someone else that did that. In a different circumstance, different situation. But Ananias and Sapphira did something like that, right? Remember how that worked out? <laughs> they drug them, drug them out, you know, dead. I don't understand all that. People say they, that kind of stuff only happens in the Old Testament. Well, someone should have told God that. And I, I just want to pause one second here, and I want to go back. We're living in a day when Christians have to be great uh, men and women of God, uh, be great, uh, good citizens, and we need to stand up for what's right. We don't allow evil to perpetuate without being engaged as citizens and, as, uh, and, and, and patriots. I'm not talking about any of that. So if you're still hovering over there, you need to hover off of that. Because I'm not saying that. That's not what I said. Not what I said. I'm talking about the spirit of contempt and loathing that we show toward others in the name of Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't see that in the scriptures where Jesus loathed people and he hated people. And, uh, you know, even Jerusalem who had rejected him, he wept over the city because he wanted to bring them in. And they rejected him. I guess the question would be, how much, how much do I, how much do we really mourn on behalf of those who don't know Christ? How much do we intercede on behalf of those who don't know Christ? Do we spend as much time doing that as we do making our statements for everyone to read and see and hear? The most important thing is that God hear our prayers. 
Let he see our passion for those who don't know him. Anyhow, he warned against self-promotion in an attempt to gain special honor. The Pharisees, I would say they were the woe culture. Jesus incited, uh, incited them with a series of woes and indictments to pronounce, uh, to be pronounced over the proud, dishonoring disposition that was really injurious to a lot of people. There were eight of them listed in Matthew, and hence Matthew's version is known as the eight woes. Only six are given in Luke, you know, but there's eight in Matthew. And he really, he, he called them out for self-promotion. He called them out for their long, showy prayer, pretentious prayers that they prayed on the street corner. You know, the fact that they, that they pr- prayed upon widows and the, the weak and the vulnerable, and they exploited the, those people, and yet they made these grand, pretentious shows. You know, Jesus identified that as being dishonorable. The love of titles, loving to be called rabbi, you know, father, you know, they needed that title to get them going. You know, the title doesn't make anything if the character isn't there. Who cares what your title? You know, you're probably going to be some people in hell and had pretty good titles. That's hard. I don't want to be one of those, right? How many say, I don't want to be one of those. I I don't need the title. I just want my heart to be right before God here. Best title you'll ever have in your whole life is be a servant of God. A child of God, servant of God. They, they love to be seen casting their tithe in. And, you know, Jesus, he always discerns and he sees the widow who cast her two coins in. And he, he's standing there. Jesus is observing. And how many know Jesus always knows? Jesus is observing and he sees this widow cast in all she had, whereas others probably came with great celebration. And, you know, we give them, we give them something, right? We got to give them something. We got to honor this. We've got to show how great this guy is. He gave, he gave a million bucks. That poor slouch that gave 10, you know, he didn't make the board, the wall of fame. Come on, church. You say, well, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm on the wall of fame. I, that's fine. That's good if you're on the wall of fame. Just make sure you're in the Lamb's book of life. Because you can be on every wall of fame there is, and if you ain't in the book, it doesn't matter. And if you want to pay off our building, we'll give you something. <laughs> I mean, we will. <laughs> Handcrafted. It'll be... Eight and a half by 11 construction paper. I mean, because we believe we would never want to rob you of the honor that God wants to bestow on you. Let me just say this, because Jesus, he spoke about things like this. I was watching one time, a, 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 and I'm not here to pick on, I, I'm really not. It just really, I, I didn't understand it, and I was a young Christian, and I was trying to understand this. There was an evangelist, well-known. They were having some kind of big event, and they started talking about donors. And they said, if, you're, if you give you know, $1,000 or $10,000, you can have a seat in the, in the, in the, you can have a, a seat in the section designated for the, uh, the, the, seat, the circle of honor. And I thought, did they? 
I didn't know anything, and I still don't know much, but I was a kid, I thought, is that, is that in the Bible? Is that what we really do? We give people seats of honor because they, they're the big guns and everybody else, the little guns way back there. Love of self-promotion, indiscreet prayer and fasting and giving, wanting everyone to see. He says, don't let one hand know what the other's doing, right? He says, what you do in secret, God will reward openly. And I'm not talking about corporate fasting and prayer. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the disposition that tries to, to draw interest, draw attention to oneself. You know, because in fact, some, who was it? Uh, someone said, a, I think it was of Teddy Roosevelt, they said he would have enjoyed being the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. I don't know if that's Teddy Roosevelt, but it was somebody. Some need to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. And, you know, the religious establishment needed to be that. That was important to them. Almost done. It's 11-11. I can see it. Uh, Matthew, uh, John 5, 41, 42. I do not receive, he says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. You know, the Scriptures warns us to, to, to be careful when all men speak well of you. Because honestly, you know, you ever have somebody just excessively tell you how great, and I appreciate encouragement. Don't stop encouraging me. Some days that encouragement is a real lifeline for us. But I know I'm not as good as some people say I am, and I hope that the good Lord above, I'm not as bad as others say. John 5, 44, as uh, the scriptures, he says, how can you believe who, who, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the, from the only God? You know, the backslapping, you're great, I'm great, we're all great, we're good, you know, God, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in that all the time. Because even Paul said he, he probably wouldn't judge himself because he wasn't sure if his judgment was really right. You say, well, no, I don't know. I, well, you know, because sometimes we assume because we feel a certain way that we're, we're good. We got it covered. But God always sees things in that light. And he loves us anyhow. That's the thing. He sees us in the light. There's nothing hidden before God. And we don't have to live a life of fear, wondering if God's going to strike us down. But, you know, God affords us light so that we can see the growth areas. And honor wants to grow. The spirit of honor wants to grow. And he reinforced the truth in God's kingdom. I'm almost there. Uh, Proverbs 29, 23. Pride ends in humiliation when humility brings honor. Jesus demonstrated how to show honor to others. He says uh, when they brought, they talked to him about giving taxes to Caesar. They said, uh, you know, they said, uh, they said Caesar's. And then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We just talked about how the Roman authorities were in collaboration with some of these tax collectors who had been appointed to exploit the people. And so, you know, on many levels in any given place or organization outside of, you know, hopefully outside of the church, there, there is a great deal of corruption, and Jesus could have cited a lot of wrongs in order to justify not giving his tax, giving this tax. Instead, he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You know, don't, don't withhold it because it really is 
Caesar's in that sense. And so, you know, we look at it, and, and, and people would have looked at him and said, doesn't he care that Rome is our oppressors and they're, they're godless heathens and, and they're into idolatry? Doesn't he care? He's saying to give them this money, it'd be better used. Jesus didn't get into any of that. He said, give Caesar what belongs to him and God what belongs to him. Jesus had a shepherding heart, and he was uh, never abusive to the sheep. The value of one was shown in the story of that shepherd who went out seeking for that one. Compassion is never condescension. Honor is essential in all ministry, and God help us that we are compassionate. And God, your righteousness is the only righteousness we can truly lay claim to. And that righteousness brings transformation internally and externally. Last of all, how do we show honor toward others? You know, take the back seat, unless you get car sick. <laughs> I remember we lived in West Virginia for a short while. I got to tell you, I won't tell you your story, Ron. I'll just tell mine. Uh, I got, went with a bunch of fellas over, and I never sat in the back seat, and they went over. What was that place? Bonanza. How can I forget such a wonderful place? But uh, I went to Bonanza, and uh, somehow I ended in the back seat. I got to tell you, I could have cared less about Bonanza when I got there. I mean, death would have looked much better than sitting there eating something from that buffet. But, uh, you know, I think back to that. But take the back seat. The choice seats are the seats that are generally reserved for the dignitaries and important people. And, you know, Jesus spoke about this, tra- this custom as pertained to the Mediterranean world. Jesus, is, he, he knows and understands the culture and how at the head of the table is the most important at the The others that are closer to the front really signified how important you were. If you were up near the the guest of honor, you were pretty important. And the further back you got, well, you know, (laughs) you know, you're lucky you got in, I guess. But anyhow, um, and he watched people. Jesus watched them and he saw how they jockeyed for a position, you know. Start, you know, you start jockeying, trying to get in. And, you know, some people overstated their importance and they worked their, wormed their way up to the front and they got in a seat and then things start, right? Well, the real guests of honor showed up. <laughs> and backseat Bob, and I'm not talking about you in the back seat. I prefer the back seat when I'm in church. I really do. I love the back seat. I don't know why. I just, uh, I can see things there. No, I'm just kidding. But I do see things, but I do like the back seat. But they would go there, and the, the people who would have been fur, much further back had kind of inflated their connections and uh, their involvement. And then the guests uh, that were deserving of that honor were brought in, and they'd say, hey, this guy's in my seat. And then the problem was, when that man was ushered out of that seat, all the other seats had become full. And so the only other seat that would be available to the one who really saw themselves as being much more than they were was in the very, very, very back row. My son and I went to a Pittsburgh Penguins game. Uh, I think it was one of those nights they beat the Capitals, but... uh, 
I'm just kidding, Jeff. I don't, I'm just kidding. I don't know who they played. But I, what I do remember is we got there, bought these seats on whatever ticket, ticket exploitation, whatever it's called. Got, got there. We got there. And I'm looking for my seat. And I, I, I said, John, I don't see this row. <laughs> uh, now, I don't, I don't see this row. I mean, you know, I thought we were up there. Why, what, what is this? I don't see it. So he went over and said, hey, I said, John, you, you bought these tickets. You go ask him where it is. So John goes over and he, he comes over and the guy with the vest on walks over. And he goes over and he in the very back, he opens his closet door and he sits out two folding chairs. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I almost became a Capitals fan that night. But it wasn't so bad. It really didn't end up being all that bad. I mean, other than looking like two complete lunatics sitting in these folding chairs and everybody else is in a seat. And, uh, you know, we were sitting there. You could stretch out, though. And when you had to go to the bathroom, you didn't have to crawl over anybody. But uh, anyhow, it's kind of like that, you know. You're brought from, they bring you from the wrong seat, buddy. Come on, I'm going to show you your seat. They go back, and you can imagine they pull out some, something out of a closet and say, right there. You know, I want to tell you today, if you exalt yourself, God will allow you to be humble. But if you humble yourself, God's purposes in your life will be exalted. Not your flesh. He will be exalted in you. And He will be glorified in you. And the last thing, and Tammy, if you'd come, this is my last, last thing. So, uh, wash, he, Jesus, he, um, what he did, there's two things. He said, take the back seat, let them move you up. Let them move you. It's always better to be moved. Hey, what are you doing way back there? Why don't you come up here? You belong up here. Then to have them say, hey, you up there, you belong back there. And he says, Humble yourself. Wash each other's feet. Doing that, those things that are often afforded to people and are taken for granted are the things that Jesus did and he taught his disciples to do. It was a common household courtesy via the household servants and at the minimum the provisions made available for guests to clean their own feet if they didn't have a servant to do so. Remember the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair? I mean, she got a place in the book. She got recognized in the book. It says here, he says, I entered your house. He's speaking to Simon who says, do you see this woman? I can tell you one thing, God saw that woman. And he says, uh, he says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet 
with ointment. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You know, that's the thing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. How many of us, when we look at the the people who seem to be the most far away from grace, how many of us can remember who we were before we came to grace? We were every bit as far away from God as they were, no matter how bad or how good we were. Every bit as far away from God. The honor that we show is remembering that when we deal with other people. And we keep in mind that they're growing. There's a, there's a God who loves them and cares for them, and he has a, a realm. You know, hell will tell you, you need to write that guy off. He's, there's no hope for him. I got to tell you, there's people that I look at in the natural, and I can't even begin to fathom how God could show grace to certain things that happen. But then again, I'm not God. And guess what? Neither are you. Last of all, honor the brothers and sisters who may be overlooked and forgotten. Remember Matthew 25? And I realize that, you know, we sometimes look and think it's only the the poor and the downtrodden and, 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 and I believe it could apply there as well but you know there, there, is, there is some belief that because these are referred to as brothers and sisters that these could be people who because of their faith have been brought into poverty they've been, brought, they've been incarcerated for their, for their faith they've become sick because of their faith. I mean, living for Christ, you weren't always included in the blessings and benefits that others would have had. And if that would be true, that says to me this, that don't show less regard to people who seem to hold lesser positions in life. You know, we, we always love to be the guy that everyone looks to as the model of success. I remember years ago, there was a church that had a church, the, the pastor had been there for many, many, many years, and they was a church that had about 20, 22 people. I think it was in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. I don't even know if it's still there anymore. I don't know. And uh, his name was Pastor Chua, and that that church uh, would have rather seemed rather insignificant. And I'm sure when the, when they were at church growth conferences, they wouldn't have probably gone to him because he didn't have anything to offer. But I got to tell you, the one distinction about that church was that they were the they had the highest giving per capita of any church with regard to missions every year every year. Their people gave so far beyond what they were capable of giving. And you know, nobody really ever mentioned that. It might have been listed in some list of the 15,000 most most discreet secrets of all time. They would have never in a million years been the person that they would have said, you know, we're here to talk about the successes and the models of church ministry. Uh, Pastor Chul, would you come up here and tell us how, how you have modeled such great success? You know, when I look at 
and I, I never knew him personally. His daughter attended Valley Forge. But the one thing I, I can tell you is the man hung in there and he was faithful. And I believe that there is going to come a time when God takes the back row up to the front. And there's going to be a time where maybe the, back, the front row gets taken to the back. The first will be last, right? And the last will be first. Well, and, and I'm in no way talking about grand, grand things that God does. I'm not comparing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying it's so often that we we don't feel like people sometimes really matter. We we say we do, but we really don't. I mean, all the time. And 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 in that Matthew 25, he says, "When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me." He says, "When you have not done it to." to these you have withheld it from me I gotta tell you that challenges me because uh, I tend to I sometimes don't tend to see the, 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 the forest for the trees only with God's help will that change but as we, we come to this part of our time and I know I preached a long time I do that I'm working on a short one it's taken a long time to work on a short one but anyhow, this morning as you've come into the house of God, how many would just say, and again, please, nobody leave here saying he, he, he's jumping me because of my Facebook or my Twitter. or I don't even know what they all are. I don't really. Uh, it's all right to, to put stuff out. I, put st- I try to be encouraging as much as I can be. I try to put uh, something that will be encouraging. Not all the time. I stray sometimes if I watch too much news. But I want to say, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't stand up as a citizen. You don't stand and watch the evil, the cesspool, the filth, and that just overtake our communities. But even still, when we do stand up for the Lord, we've got to be honorable. We've got to live a life of honor and integrity before the Lord. We've got to not look at people as though they're the, the vile, putrid, most hated people in our view. Because if God gave me that designation, I would be condemned without any hope whatsoever. But he he saved me. How many of you just slip your hands before the Lord today and just say, Lord, I want to embrace that thought that humility precedes honor. Lord, that it's more valuable sometimes than the benefits of honor because, Lord, humility is what God is drawn to in us. It's what God loves about us. It's because then, then as we are humble, we realize where all the goodness comes from, all the grace comes from, all of the undeserved and unmerited things in our lives, we realize that they came from God. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a uh, uh, we'll be a church with a, a, a thick skin and a tender heart. Lord, help us to put a guard on our mouths so that when we, when we could speak something, it wouldn't, and we know it wouldn't do much but inflame things. Lord, give us that kind of discernment. Give us that kind of uh, honor. Lord, that we don't, we're not hurtful to people. We're not reckless in our speech. We're not inflammatory, Lord God, when there's no need to be in any way. Lord, help us to 
Lord, to be passionate. But Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be the one who directs our passions. And the scriptures will be the place where our passions are brought before you and, and transformed and calibrated. We praise you, Lord God. Help us to know that the least of these may, may well be the poor of this world who have nothing and may not know Jesus whatsoever, never have known the grace of God. Or they may be people who, Lord God, are serving you that are in need. Lord, help us to never be ashamed of those who to, to affiliate with people who, uh, Lord, from all points of view might not look like much. Because, Lord, who are we to assign that kind of devaluation to anybody? And yet, Lord, it's easy to do. Hallelujah. How many want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that uh, it just begins to, 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 to purge and to wash out the dispositions and the attitudes and, 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 the, and the things that are self-promoting and the things that are done hidden thought hidden from God help us Lord God to, to, to just be broken down and build up Lord break down that which doesn't need to grow then Lord help us to uproot the things that Lord God don't cause healthy growth and aren't producing fruit Help us to have hearts that are tender, Lord, that, that as Jesus looked at Jerusalem, it's interesting that he didn't vilify the sheep, the lost sheep. He wept over them. He wept over them. He yearned for them. Lord, I pray that that's what will happen in my life, Lord God, that there'll be less of me responding to this world and more of you in me, Lord God, that will see what you see. Lord, help us never, Lord God, to turn our backs on the one for whom Christ died. Lord, help us never to turn our backs on any one person because that one person is one for whom Christ has died. And Lord, I thank you. Lord God Almighty, forgive us of our sins. Search us out. Search us out, Lord God. Show us. Lord God, what you see when you look in our hearts and you you discern and you know, Lord God, help me to see what you see, Lord God, and transform me, Lord God, by your, your, your Holy Spirit. Like David, Lord, we pray, do not take your Holy Spirit away from us because, Lord, we know the value of the Holy Spirit today. We're going to sing a song here in a second. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Not tomorrow, not next week. God can save you tomorrow or next week, but God's saying, I, I want to do that today. If you're backslidden, God's saying, I want to bring you home today. No reason for you to stay out away from me. Lord, I ask that you would just bring that one or those, Lord God, that might say, I am away from God today. Not because he's not with me, but I'm not with him, Lord. I've chosen to go my way like the prodigal son. The prodigal son's father, uh, his, his thoughts and his love were never far from the son. But Lord, the son desire, desired to go a different way. And Lord, if there's any of us here today that would say, Lord, I, I, I know that I'm not, I, I have moved on or moved away and I want to come back and I know you will receive me. I know you will receive me. And even before I get there, Lord God, you'll be drawing me in with your embrace and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. 
Lord, wash my sin away, Lord. I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse me, Lord. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my mouth, Lord God. I want my life to be a sacred vessel. Even if it's a vessel of clay, I want it to be sacred and sanctified, filled with you, Lord God. I come back to Jesus and I experience grace. If there's anyone who's never experienced salvation, never experienced God's wondrous love in a personal way, you may have heard sermons, you may have read a Bible, you may have heard something, seen something, but God says, I want you to know personally who I am. I want you to know that all of the heaviness in your heart and in your life, I will take that. All of the guilt that you have borne, I will remove it because I'm going to take your sin away. I'm going to take all of the faults, failures, and all those things that maybe were part of the way you've been going and say, I will cover you. I will wash you. I will make you new. I will, I, I will wash you and the sweet Holy Spirit will come in and take up residence in your heart. And the person you were will die. And the person you are will come to life in Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.